0: We're going to take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, last week on Sunday evening, we began looking at the walking through the Bible for 2 Corinthians and got por- a portion of the way through that. And, uh, and I was ready to finish that up tonight uh, and this morning we were going to go back to the Gospel of Luke, but uh, as the weather progressed and as it became obvious that we were going to have more of a Sunday night crowd here this morning rather than a Sunday morning crowd, uh, I decided to uh, forego the uh, leap back into Luke until uh, later, and uh, we're going to look at Second Corinthians again and uh and seek to understand this amazing book that God gave to us i want to read the first several verses of chapter 1 second corinthians chapter 1 the bible says paul an apostle of jesus christ by the will of god and timothy our brother unto the churches of god unto the church of god which is at corinth with all the saints that are in achaia grace Be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we are pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. That we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves. But in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver. In whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. And here's a great verse that comes from the heart of every missionary. Verse number 11, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Some time ago, I started uh, sporadically going through the New Testament. I called it a walk through the New Testament to try to spend one or two messages on each book of the New Testament to be able to capture what that book was all about. God gave us every portion of His Word for a distinct purpose. And, uh, and if we know the purpose for which He gave us each portion of His Word, that helps us to know where to go in our Bibles when we need a particular thing in our lives or have a particular situation that is important in our lives. And so... Uh, we started to be able to take a, a different portion of God's Word. And last week we came to the book of 2 Corinthians. Last Sunday evening I introduced this letter uh, by way of giving the back story. What was behind, what was going on in the Christian world that precipitated the need for this letter to be sent from God to this church? And so we were in the midst of looking at that. Uh, and did not finish looking at that back story, and so I want to uh, complete that back story of the book of Second Corinthians uh, this morning, and then Lord Willing uh, next Sunday evening, uh, or maybe even this evening, depending on the weather uh, we 're going to take the, uh, the walk through the book itself, but we 're trying to understand the backstory of what was behind uh, this this battle for the future of Christianity, because the backstory story in the book of Second Corinthians really does involve the battle of whether or not New Testament Christianity will will make it uh, out of the, the uh, off the blocks and into the race. Uh, God had Jesus had given the disciples instructions to take the gospel to Jerusalem, to all Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria were all pro, uh, predominantly uh, Jewish areas. They were almost exclusively uh, Jewish areas. And so the gospel and the planting of churches in the New Testament era began with planting churches amongst the uh, people of Israel. And Jewish people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Messiah experienced the new birth and then banded together in clusters called churches were planted uh, throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And when the Apostle Paul, who was unsaved at the time, brought persecution against the church in Jerusalem, the Christians scattered and went everywhere. And that was a major part of the planting of churches throughout uh, Judea and Samaria. The Bible tells us that the the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ spread as far north as Antioch. Uh, That would be... Uh, Syrian Antioch, which was just to the north of Israel, but was still predominantly a Jewish area. The Bible says that they were preaching the gospel to the Grecians, and the Grecians were Greek-speaking Jews. And so again, the gospel was still predominantly in Jewish areas, and Jewish people were getting saved. But the Great Commission said Take this gospel to Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth. This is a transcultural gospel. This is a worldwide message. This is not for any singular people group, any singular ethnic group. This is for the world. And so it was obvious that this message of the gospel was going to move outside of a Jewish environment only, and it was going to involve everybody. Jews and Gentiles all over the world. And so that was the scope and the plan of what God was going to do. And so the gospel got to, uh, to uh, Syrian Antioch. And, and they were just so many people were getting saved. And the, and the church was growing. So uh, the word got back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem said we need to go and be supportive of this. Find out what's going on. And so they sent Barnabas who was instrumental in the work in Jerusalem. And Barnabas went up to the church in, in Antioch and saw what was going on, and he was just so excited about, about the, the spread of the gospel and the work that was being done, he decided, I need somebody to assist me in leading this church. And so he knew that somebody that he had influenced right after his salvation, a man by the name of Saul, who had been persecuting the churches, and putting Christians in jail and, and, and killing Christians, Bar- he got, got saved Saul and, and, and changed his name to Paul. And he became the great Apostle Paul. Well, no one would accept him. Everyone uh, everyone's afraid of him. Thought he was just feigning a salvation to be able to find out who was where so he could then come back and arrest them and kill them. And so no one trusted him. And it was Barnabas that came along beside the new convert, Paul, and encouraged him and helped him in his very first days as a Christian. Well, uh, Barnabas and Saul had gone different directions, but when, Saul, when Barnabas was in Antioch and knew he needed help in the church there at Antioch, he knew that, that Paul was in Tarsus, which is up in modern-day Turkey, and so... Barnabas sent word or went and, uh, to Tarsus and, and asked Paul to come and assist him in the work at the church at Antioch, which they did. And so things were going great, and then all of a sudden it was God's timing to branch out of the Jewish areas and to send this gospel to remote Gentile areas. And so God spoke to the church and told the church family and pressed upon them. That they were to take their pastors, their senior pastor, an assistant pastor, maybe in modern day vernacular, their pastors, and thrust them out on a missionary journey. And so they laid hands on them, they prayed over them, and Barnabas and Paul went on their first missionary journey. They left the Jewish area, they sailed into the Mediterranean, they went to the island of Cyprus. Evangelized, they went up into the mainland of what is today Turkey, and they planted a number of churches in Turkey. This um, this screen that's going to come up will uh, remind us of that that missionary journey and how the Apostle Paul, uh, Barnabas, and the Apostle Paul, who became wasn't the Apostle Paul, I guess at that time, but uh, these guys that went from from Antioch, Syrian Antioch, and across. Uh, Cyprus, and then up, and they planted churches. They went to Perga, Antioch, that's the, the city in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and then they backtracked and went back home. It was a great missionary journey, and amazing things happened. As the uh, gospel was uh, was preached, souls got saved, churches were planted. When we read in the book of Acts of that first missionary journey, the Bible says that, that they, uh, they led those churches to appoint pastors In every city, because churches had been planted in every city they went to. And they ordained pastors in each of those cities. Now, when they got back to Antioch, Syrian Antioch, their home church, their sending church, when they got back, they were pumped and excited. And so they uh, they got back, they told everyone what had happened, they were all excited. But they found out when they got back that the rumors of Jewish preachers going to Gentile areas and preaching the gospel to Gentiles, and there were some that were concerned about that. They came to be known as the Judaizers, the ones who would teach Judaism in a Christian context, Judaism being the Old Testament law, but it had become very much corrupted, and Jesus Christ fought that. During his entire ministry to Israel. And so the, the people that had come from Judea, preachers that had come from Judea, began to question this Gentile salvation. Are they really saved? Are you telling the Gentiles, once they believe in Jesus, that they have to come underneath the law of Moses, circumcise the males, Require the people to follow the law of Moses or they're not really saved. And so that raised a huge doctrinal issue at the outset of spreading the gospel to the Gentile areas. And so the conflict was significant enough that the pastors of the church in Antioch said we need to counsel with the elders, the pastors, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas and Paul down to Jerusalem to uh, go over this issue and talk about this problem. Now, we, can, we read about that council meeting that occurred. We read about it in the book of Acts and also in the book of Galatians. And we learned that they went. Uh, various people spoke. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, spoke. Peter, the apostle that had originally taken the gospel to Cornelius, the first Gentile, the first attempt to, to bring the, the gospel into the Gentile world that had occurred. Paul spoke, Barnabas spoke, and, and, and they counseled, they, they, they deliberated. Does a Gentile have to obey the law of Moses after they believe in Jesus to really be saved? Or, or is this gospel of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles totally oblivious to the requirements... ...of the law of Moses, of Judaism. And so they deliberated, they came to the conclusion that Gentile believers are saved if they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ... ...without the males being circumcised, without being under the law of Moses... ...without uh, fulfilling uh, and becoming Jews, in essence, religiously, in order to really genuinely be saved... And so that was the decision. Everyone was excited. The church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch were in unity doctrinally. They agreed that the Gentiles are not to be made Jews in order to be saved. And so that was the that was the end result. And uh, and so at the at the outset of the spread of the gospel into the Gentile world, there were doctrinal problems and the term Judaizers is used to describe the preachers who disagreed with the council. Who did not believe that the doctrinal unity between the Antioch church and the Jerusalem church was correct. They still believed it's the grace of God through Christ plus the works of the law of Moses in order to be saved. Well, this, these Judaizers still existed. And as the the apostles, Paul in particular, continued to go out on missionary journeys and evangelize and plant churches in Gentile areas, these Judaizing preachers would dog his steps. And they would show up in churches that had been established after he left. And they would begin to criticize his apostleship. After all, he wasn't even... A follower of Jesus Christ during Jesus' earthly ministry. And after Jesus was crucified, he was actually killing people who believed in Jesus. And the eleven apostles after Judas' uh, uh, suicide, his death, after, after Jewish, the eleven uh, apostles, and then Matthias uh, took it, Judas' place, those apostles Paul doesn't have any letter from them of ordination saying that they recognize him. And what he preaches is not true. And so these Judaizers would dog the steps of the Apostle Paul everywhere he went. And that became a very important part of the backstory behind a number of the books written in the New Testament, particularly 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and the book of Philippians. Those particular books address specifically the backstory of Judaism as it was tearing up the churches and causing all kinds of problems. Well, the Apostle Paul headed out on his second missionary journey. This uh, uh, slide shows us that, uh, that he went back to Antioch. He left Antioch. You know, they'd been down here for that council. They went back to Antioch. They left Antioch, went to the churches they had started on the first missionary journey, and then tried to go into the northern and southern parts of Asia, but the Spirit of God wouldn't let him do that. And so he ended up in Troas. God spoke to him in a vision and told him, gave him an image of a man from Macedonia, said, come over and help us. So he went across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, went to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, planted churches there, came down to Athens, preached on Mars Hill, went over to Corinth, and he spent 18 months in Corinth planting the church at Corinth, the church that received the letter that's in front of us, 2 Corinthians. Well, the Apostle Paul got ready to go back, and so he sailed back across the Aegean. He stopped off at Ephesus for the first time. When he saw Ephesus, he thought, wow, what a strategic city. ...for evangelizing the Gentile world. He had pl- he had just planted the church at Corinth. Corinth and Ephesus were two major commercial cities... ...on the west to east trade route that linked Europe to Asia. And so these two cities were strategic with the flow of information, the flow of commerce... The flow of ideas and beliefs. And so the Apostle Paul saw Ephesus and thought, now this is an amazing city. But he was on his way back to Jerusalem, so he went, so he went back. Now, on the next uh, slide, we have his uh, third missionary journey. Let's see. Uh, yes. And on his third missionary journey, he made a beeline to Ephesus. And then he spent two and a half years in Ephesus. Now it gets real close to the books of First and Second Corinthians. While he was in Ephesus, he received a, he, he had a lot of back-and-forth uh, communication with the church just across the sea over at Corinth, that he had started on the second missionary journey. The information he got was problematic. He went and made a trip himself, just a short trip. There, there were issues there. Uh, the, a delegation came to him and brought him a list of questions. And so while he was in Ephesus, he wrote 1 Corinthians and sent it back to Corinth and told them he was going to come to see them. As a matter of fact, if you look on the next slide, the uh, where did Paul want to go? If you look in chapter 1, verses 15 to 16 of 2 Corinthians... 2 Corinthians 1, 15 and 16, he said, this is the confidence, I was minded to come to you before. After he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, because of the back and forth, he said, I need to go see them. And I was minded to come to you before that ye might have a second benefit, a second time with him, and to pass by you into Macedonia. So he said, I was minded To leave Ephesus and come and see you, and then I'll go to Macedonia, and then I'll come back to you again out of Macedonia, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. So his plan was to leave Ephesus, go see them, go see the churches up here he'd planted, come back and see them a third time, and then go back to Asia. That was his plan. He didn't do that. The problems continued to grow and problems began to develop in Ephesus where he was ministering. And the the uh, problems that began to grow in Ephesus escalated to the point where he was driven out of Ephesus. We read it in Acts chapter 19 and 20. He was driven out by an angry mob and he had to flee for his life to get out of Ephesus. And so instead of going over to Corinth, he fled from Ephesus and he went up to Troas, as the map shows. He went up to Troas and across to Macedonia before he went to Corinth, which was a change of plans. And they were expecting him to do what he thought he was going to do, that he told them he was going to do. And so when the Judaizers, they came in, they said, you know, you can't even believe this, Paul. He tells you he's coming, and he doesn't come. He's a liar. You can't even trust him. It was all a part of the... The Judaizers trying to discredit the Apostle Paul. And so the, uh, the, uh, the transition from Ephesus up to Macedonia was brutal on the Apostle Paul. Run out of Ephesus, worried about Corinth. He gets, he gets to Troas and Titus was supposed to meet him there. Well, where did Titus come into the picture? When Paul was in Ephesus, he sent Titus to go to Corinth. Do what you can, and then meet me in Troas. This is after his plans had changed. So when he got to Troas, Titus didn't show up. And so Paul gave up waiting on Titus, and he heads to Macedonia. We see that, see reference to that in Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse number five. The Bible says, when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side, without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that cometh comforteth us, that are cast down, comforteth us by the coming of Titus. So he left Troas, gave up waiting on Titus, went over into Macedonia, Titus finally showed up, and Paul was encouraged by the word that Titus brought. And that led to the writing of 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians from Macedonia, believed he wrote it from the city and the church at Philippi. And he wrote 2 Corinthians to tell them, Titus got here, brought me a good report, uh, I'm still coming to see you, uh, and uh, I'll get there later, but I'm sending this letter in the meantime. Now, in your little handout on the bottom of the first page, this is, this is all about the hour of darkness in Paul's life. The hour of darkness. The, the, number one was the unexpected conflict uh, with the Judaizers uh, contesting the doctrine that Paul was teaching. The hour of darkness is this time when Paul left Eph- uh, Eph- uh, um, Ephesus and went up to Troas. J. Sidlow Baxter said, and it's at the bottom of page one, disappointment Apprehensiveness and physical illness now swooped in concerted attack upon Paul to make this perhaps the darkest hour in his heroic but costly struggle for the propagation and preservation of the true gospel it 's only if we understand the darkness of what the Apostle Paul was going through that we can appreciate what is actually written in second Corinthians, the backstory makes the book make sense to a deeper level. Notice also on your little handout um, on the top of the next page, Corinth appeared to be in full revolt against him. Galatia was falling away to another gospel. He had narrowly escaped the enraged populace of Ephesus, wild beasts with whom he had long been fighting and at whose mercy he had left his flock in that turbulent city, under his continued strain of excitement and anxiety, his strength succumbed. He was seized with an attack of sickness which threatened to terminate his life. So as the Apostle Paul came to Macedonia, he knew the churches in Galatia were going south. He knew that Ephesus, he just got drove out. He knew that Corinth has been in some major issues and problems. And the whole weight of the success of Gentile world evangelism is hanging in the balances. Will Gentile world evangelism fail and die? The Apostle Paul expects to die. He doesn't think he's going to live. And all of the works that he had started in the Gentile world are gone south. They're failing. The fear, the anxiety, the worry, the emotion took its toll on him. And physically. Well, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he wrote the first letter from Ephesus, before he got driven out, he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians fifteen verse thirty one and thirty two, he said, "I die daily." Now some have taken that out of its context and made that a, a part of you know being saved or crucified with Christ. Ever thus, I leave it, uh, the Christ live it. But Christ liveth in me. He was talking about physical death. He talked about. He said, "I have fought with the wild beasts of Ephesus." He every day he expected to die physically. He was at the bottom of his of his game. This was the darkest hour of his life. And his entire life mission and work is teetering on failure. When he wrote 2 Corinthians, he began to explain it. So look with me at chapter 1 and verse number 8. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. We read it a moment ago. Let's read it again. He wrote to them. Now, remember, this is 2 Corinthians. So he wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus, expecting to come and see them immediately. Then Things started going south in Ephesus and he got ran out of town. So he went up to Macedonia and there, there uh, Titus came uh, and uh, brought him a report. And so he, then he wrote the second Corinthians explaining to them what he's going through right now. He said, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength. In so much that we despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. I thought I was going to die. This is it. It's over. When he was trying to escape from Ephesus. We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead who delivered us. So he's writing this from Macedonia. So obviously he knows he didn't die in Ephesus. He is explaining to them the state of his heart. What he had gone through in Ephesus. How he thought he was going to die in Ephesus. How he thought it was all going to, going to be washed up in Ephesus. And when he got to Macedonia and met with Titus, he was encouraged. And he said, we had the sentence of death that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. who delivered. Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. In whom we trust that he will yet delivereth. He, got to, he was over the hump, and he, and, he, and he knew he didn't die, that God had delivered him, and he trusted that God was going to continue to deliver him. Flip over to chapter 4 and verse number 7. We're trying to, to capture the darkest hour of Paul's life and what he was going through. Chapter 4 and verse number 7, he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of Christ, of God, may, uh, and not of us, the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. He said, I bore my body. He'd been beaten. He'd been attacked. He had fought with people. He had had escaped miraculously. And everything has been so difficult. Verse 16 of the same chapter, For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, physically, outwardly, his body, his mind, his, his he, he said, our outward man perishes, but inside, God has kept me alive day by day. And he called all of the things a light affliction that only lasts for a moment, but works a far more exceeding weight of glory. Turn over to chapter 11. Second Corinthians tells us so much about this dark hour of the Apostle Paul. Chapter 11, verse 23. Chapter 11, verse 23, Paul said, are they ministers of Christ? Now, at this point, he's talking about the Judaizers that are trying to discredit him. i more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons, more frequent in deaths. Often he often was at the point of death thinking he would not live another day. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I shepherds shipwreck, a night and day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings. Often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold, in nakedness. And besides all these things that are without, there cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. What churches? The churches over in Galatia that are dying, the church in Ephesus, which is in the midst of turmoil, the church in Corinth that is in the midst of doctrinal turmoil. And when you read and study the book of Philippi, you learn that the same thing had happened there with this doctrinal heresy. He said, the care of all the churches I've planted are upon me. I don't think any of them are going to survive. I I, I don't know that the gospel is going to make it to the world. The care of all... You see, when we read the book of Acts, we see the highlights of the victory of the Apostle Paul. But we don't see all that he went through. And we don't understand his hour of darkness that nearly destroyed him as a missionary. On the verge of dying, worried that it was all going to fail, he writes Second Corinthians to talk about the struggle of his life. We are left no, with no doubt that this great hero is suffering mental distress and physical weakness. Notice also in your little handout, J. Sidlow Baxter also said we had been at death's door. He had been at death's door. His life and work to all all appearance were coming to an end. And under circumstances of the most ominous nature, together with his life, the fate of his mission and of Gentile Christianity trembled in the balance. Never had he felt himself so helpless, so beaten down and discomfited. As on that melancholy journey from Ephesus to Macedonia, and while he lay upon his sick bed, perhaps at Philippi, not knowing whether Titus or the messenger of death should reach him first. This was Paul's hour of darkness. Physically exhausted. Mentally spent. Trouble in the churches that he had planted all over Asia and now in Macedonia and Achaia. Is the salvation of the Gentiles to which God had called him on the Damascus Road to end this way? Well, Titus showed up. And that brings us to the third act in the play. Titus shows up with a mixed report. A mixed report. Let me just show you a couple of brief things about this report. Turn back to chapter 7 of, of Second Corinthians I want you to see it's a mixed report. It gets word about what's going on in Corinth from Titus. And there's some good news and there's some bad news. The original good news, bad news. In chapter 7, verse number 6, we have the good news that Titus brought him. Verse number 6 says, Nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus, not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us of your, and then he describes one of the most amazing descriptions of real revival. You remember when he wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus, the church at Corinth was in a mess. And we saw when we looked at the walkthrough of 1 Corinthians that it's all about solving problems and answering questions. And so when Titus got back, Titus came back and said, hey, they got your letter and they took you to heart and the problems of immorality and division have been solved. They've repented. They've gotten right with God. And all those questions they ask you and you answered all those questions, they've taken that to be truth. And they've begun to live according to what you told them. Titus came back and said, Paul, you wouldn't believe it. There's been a transformation in the church at Corinth. And so he describes it this way. He said, Verse number seven, not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us of your. Now, notice how he describes what they did with the first letter of Corinthians. Your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind towards me, the apostle Paul, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. Now, notice that. When he wrote 1 Corinthians, it was a letter that dealt with a lot of heavy issues. And Paul said, as he put the letter off with the carrier to deliver, he said, I repented, though I did repent. I was sorry I had to send that letter. I was afraid it wasn't going to come and be accepted well. I even began to wonder, should I really written it? Should I really said what I said? Have you ever tried to help somebody and you've told them something, then you second guess yourself and you wonder, Should I really have said that? Are they going to take it right? Are they going to understand my heart? I will. I wish I wouldn't have said. I wish I wouldn't have wrote that letter. I wish I wouldn't have told him. I just I repent. Then you find out that the person took your counsel, changed their life, and they love you for it, and then you were saying. Man, I'm glad I sent the letter. I'm glad I said what I said. That's exactly what's happening here. Paul said that I sent you the letter and I made you sorry. You were stricken with guilt. You were made sorry when you read the letter I read to you. I don't repent for sending it. Though I've got to admit I did repent back before I knew how well it turned out. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though now but for a season. Now I rejoice that ye were made sorry. I, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. You see, this is the power of giving people honest truth that makes them guilty. It makes them sorrow, sorry. They're filled with guilt. They feel horrible. But only for a season, because that Sorrow led them to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sword. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearings of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wow. So, the, the letter... The, when, when, when Titus got back with the report... It was a mixed report. There was good news. And Paul was really excited about the good news. So he said in verse 16 of chapter 7, he concludes it in verse 16. He said, I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. I believe you, members of the church at Corinth, have made it. And you're going to do well. And I've got confidence in the church at Corinth. But there was also some bad news. See, the bad news was the out-of-town preachers that showed up teaching a false doctrine. Look at chapter 11. Let me show you the bad news. Chapter 11, verse number 4. Chapter 11, verse 4. Paul said, If he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Do you see that in verse number 4? See, these are the... Judaizers, the preachers from Judea, coming, dogging Paul's steps, troubling the churches, coming and saying that this apostle Paul, you can't believe him. He lied to you. He didn't come when he said he was going to come. He doesn't have any letters from the apostles back in Jerusalem. He's not even teaching you the truth. He's teaching you half a truth. You've, you've not only got to believe in Jesus, but you also got to keep the law of Moses. And some of the church members began to listen to the false teachers and become influenced by them. And so, good news, bad news. Second Corinthians was written to praise them for the good news and to caution them about the bad news. The bad news was false doctrine. False doctrine about another Jesus, another spirit, And another gospel. Now, interestingly, the language in which God breathed the New Testament was Greek. And the Greek had two different words for another. One of them means another of the same kind. And the other word means another of a different kind. There are two different words. One is spelled A-L-L-O-S and the other is spelled A-T-E-T-E-R-O-S. Heteros, from which we get our word heresy. And so... Both of those words are used here. So I want you to notice something carefully, because it, it, it's, it's a really interesting uh, situation. He said, there cometh, he cometh preaching another Jesus, and that's the word another of the same kind as we've preached. However, they, they ha, uh, um, if you receive another spirit, which we have not received, that's another of a different kind. Or another gospel, that's another of a different kind. So another Jesus of the same kind, but another spirit of a different kind and another gospel of a different kind. You say, why is that why is that interesting to you, Pastor? Well, because when you come to false doctrine, sometimes false doctrine is within the realm of another Jesus of the same kind. And sometimes false doctrine is about another Jesus of a different kind. See what do you mean? Well, when when someone teaches, like take the Roman Catholic Church, for instance, that teaches that that there's all of these avenues of the grace of God it begins with infant baptism that uh, removes your original sin and makes you a member of God's family. And now you are you are in the family of God. You go to heaven because you were baptized as a baby. And, and, and then all these you got to go to the priest to make your confessions. And and, you, and when you die, you've got to have a priest say last rites over you. You got all these means whereby. Grace is conveyed to you. Now, that's, none of that is taught in the Bible. That's all false doctrine. But it's all about the same Jesus I believe. He's, they preach another Jesus of the same kind. Another because what they teach about Jesus is different. However, when you get into an organization like the Mormon Church, they don't believe and teach. Jesus Christ as the same Jesus Christ that you believe in. Two Christmases ago, the Mormon Church here in town uh, were having a a ecumenical uh, service for, and they were inviting churches all over the area to come and bring their choir, bring their special music. We're going to have a a Christmas song service and an ecumenical time, just uh, exalting Jesus Christ. And we were invited, and, and, and I, I politely declined. And we um, were invited again, and I politely declined. And, and, and the pastor contacted me. And the pastor said, look, says we just want to all together in the community join together and exalt Jesus. Not teach Mormon doctrine, this doctrine, that doctrine. We just want to exalt Jesus. We all worship the same Jesus. I said, you know, that's really not true you don't worship or teach about or exalt the Jesus that I believe in your Jesus is Lucifer's brother. Your Jesus was biologically born he began his existence he's not eternal. he began his existence when when your God conceived and bore a child and and two children Lucifer and jesus and 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 you believe that I can become a God just like Jesus. and no, The Jesus that you imagine and you worship is not another Jesus of the same kind as I worship. He's another Jesus of a different kind. He is a non-eternal being who's Lucifer's brother. And that's not the Jesus I worship. You see, you, there is false doctrine amongst those who have the same Jesus... But they have a little different twist. And then there's doctrinal heresy about someone they invent and they put the name Jesus on it. But it's not the same person as the person we read about in the Bible. Well, the Judaizers were teaching about the same Jesus. They were from Jerusalem. They were there perhaps when he was crucified. They knew all about Jesus. And they portrayed the same Jesus that Paul preached But they put a different doctrinal addition to the gospel. It was a gospel of a different kind. It was not the same gospel. It was a gospel of a different kind. And it conveyed a spirit of a different kind. This is bad news. These Judaizing preachers was a satanic ploy to destroy world evangelism. Let me close with the act number four. Act number four is a battle for truth. This battle... Over Judaism, which is the backstory for the book of 2 Corinthians and Philippians and Galatians. This backstory is the story of the fight to preserve and protect the gospel of the grace of God against a corrupted gospel that is a mixture of God's grace plus man's works. In order to attain salvation or maintain salvation. This battle for truth saturates the New Testament. Jesus exposed this when he dealt with the Judaizers, the the people in Jerusalem who led in the temple. He fought this constantly in his interactions with them. Luke recorded it happening in the book of Acts by showing us the controversy in Antioch and the council in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul dismantled it in the book of Galatians and Philippians and in Corinth. And by the way, if you'll notice the geography of that, Galatians, where's Galatia? Galatia, the churches in Galatia, Philippi, that's Macedonia, and Corinth, that's Achaia. The three major areas where Paul started churches in each of those areas. Paul dismantled Judaism when he wrote those churches' letters, which tells me something. That is, that doctrine must always be fought for. To keep false doctrine out and to maintain pure doctrine. And if the the evangelization of the world is going to be effective and successful... It will be done because Christians were able to preserve the truth of the gospel in their generation and pass it to the next generation. So Paul, his heart is struggling with the situation in Corinth. His dream of a world-class church on the edge of Europe, a city rich in commerce, and in the shadows of the intellectual giant of Athens... Ephesus and Corinth, all oh, the possibilities were world evangelism, but his dream is crumbling. The Corinthian church is divided and immoral, and he was just driven out of Ephesus. And finally, a ray of light from Titus. Good news and bad news. And so the Apostle Paul writes 2 Corinthians to praise the good news and to challenge the members of the church to not listen to those Johnny-come-lately preachers that have come in with false doctrine into the church. It reminds me of Jude, verse 3, where the Bible says, Beloved, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That battle is a battle that has been waged for 2,000 years. We wage it today. Guarding the doctrine of the grace of God from the heretical teachings of, of adding man's work into the grace of God. And we pick up the torch that the apostle Paul laid down, and we contend for the faith. We get into a contest, we we get into the battle, we fight for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints in order to have an authentic gospel for the next generation to preach all over the world as they continue to fulfill the great commission. Well, that's the back story. Now read 2 Corinthians. You'll read it like you've never read it before. You'll see things you never saw before. Because the backstory makes all the difference in understanding each portion of the Word of God. Lord willing, I'll spend one additional message just stepping through the flow of 2 Corinthians now that we know the backstory.